What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shaved Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the late evening hours of Memorial Day, Monday, May 29th, 2023. Happy to be back here with you following the holiday weekend. Some time away. Love to get that in the summertime. Was up at the family farm and had a wonderful time. You saw me perhaps uh, tweet out a photo, a couple photos of the sunset. Oh, was that Saturday night? And I made a comment about not having caught any fish. But Sunday, I got me a fish. I think it's probably the first fish I've caught in like three years up there. I am horrible when it comes to fishing. Don't have the patience for it. So I used to hate doing it. Now I really enjoy doing it. But it's more a matter of I've accepted that nothing good is going to happen. I'm just kind of out there to pass the time. And then once you let go, you, you catch one. So that was a lot of fun. We're back in here to talk about some Cardinals talk today as, oh boy, the Cardinals just had one of their more embarrassing losses of the season. And they've had plenty of losses this season as they uh, slump back down in the standings. We're going to focus on Monday's game. Cardinals lose to the Royals 7-0. Kansas City nearly pulling off the first combined perfect game in MLB history at Bush Stadium. Yeah, that would have been fun. I don't have a lot to say about the weekend's games. When we get into another live stream, which may come Tuesday night on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, we might be able to, I could answer some questions about some things that I thought of over the weekend, but you know how I am. I'll just ramble if I'm trying to recap a full weekend of games, some of which I, was, I, I wasn't really watching these games. I was more listening on the radio to uh, the last couple of them. So it won't do us any good here. It'll be a waste of time. But if you've got questions about those, Shoot me a DM at bshafer12 on Twitter or just wait till the next live stream and say, hey, I wanted your take on this from over the weekend. But for now, we're going to talk this uh, Monday loss to the Royals for the Cardinals where the offense was absolutely dormant. Mike Myers gets his revenge. We'll talk about his outing for the Royals and why the Cardinals just seemed completely unable to solve him. And part of that was the fabled 19 games in 19 days. Cardinals are through the first 18 of those 19, and then the the 19th and final game of this stretch comes on Tuesday at Bush Stadium. But the Cardinals, they looked like they were going on fumes a little bit on Monday, and so, of course, that was something that was asked about after the game. We'll hear from Ali Marmel on his answer to that question, and it was one that, for whatever reason, set off a firestorm on Twitter, And, and I regret getting into the fray a little bit where a lot of people were firing off at me about, well, in my job, I work 10-hour days and all this stuff. And it's like people, I feel like we're sort of intentionally missing the signs here and trying to to make it, it turned into a one-upmanship sort of contest between Cardinals fans and the notion that, yes, even though these guys do play a game for a living, there is some realism to the idea that they could be a little worn down after a stretch like the one that they're wrapping up on Tuesday. So we'll talk about the 19 games in 19 days, I'll give you my take about it. How I think it's real and how I also think the Cardinals could have done more to counteract some of these things. They There are some things that they did do, but then there were others that they maybe could have done. And I don't know if that's something that's on Ollie Marmel or maybe more accurately, it's something we could look at the front office to, uh, to have fixed. So I'll explain to you what I mean by that. And then we'll get into a little bit of an injury update situation. Still not a lot going on Tyler O'Neill, but we'll bring him up. And uh, Jordan Walker is another name that we're going to talk about today because we got some dueling commentary, I think, from President of Baseball John Mozeliak on what Jordan Walker has been up to at Memphis and what Jordan Walker himself says he's been up to. We'll hear from Walker via one of the reporters down there in Memphis who, uh, for one of the news stations there, and we'll make sure to give them full credit, had a chance to uh, chat with Jordan Walker. And I don't know, you might be a little surprised by what you hear from the Cardinals young outfielder if you hadn't heard this yet or seen this via Twitter. I retweeted it and talked about it at my feed at bshafer12. But if you missed it, well, don't worry about it because we'll be able to cover it here all in this episode of the show. Follow bshafe daily on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That's my quick plea for everybody. And uh, the YouTube channel, once again, if you're watching on YouTube, appreciate that. Make sure to like the YouTube videos and live streams when we do them. Go ahead and like this one and comment your thoughts. Let them be heard in the comment section. YouTube channel is Brendan Schaefer-St. Louis Cardinals writer. If you haven't found it, punch that into your YouTube search or just go to YouTube, 
facebook.com slash at bshafer12, the exact same as my Twitter handle with the at in there, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. We cleared 900 subscribers. 1,000 is the next goal, and I'll be probably talking a lot about it until we get there. And so if you are kind of annoyed by that, please help me out and subscribe, and then I won't have to uh, harp on it quite as much. But once I get to 1,000, it does make a huge difference. So appreciate you guys for listening and for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys all had a lovely three-day weekend. If you had an opportunity to get get some time outside, uh, that was uh, well spent, at least in my case. Those Cardinals fans who found themselves at Bush Stadium on Monday – well, they got out in the nice weather, but they didn't get to witness very competitive baseball by the Cardinals as they fall 7 to nothing to the second-worst team, I believe, in Major League Baseball. The Kansas City Royals, even after the win, are 17-38, and 38, which is kind of funny. Back during their World Series run, 17-38, that was like a... Who was the rapper? I can't even think of him off the top of my head. It, it, was that a Fetty Wap? I'm going to really show my lack of pop culture on this one. But, yeah, I think that's what that was. Well, it means something different now in 2023 to Royals fans uh, because they are tremendously terrible. But the Cardinals were worse today as they fall to 24-32, and 32, back to eight games below 500, and more importantly and more unfortunately, they're back in last place. Yep. Into the basement once again of the NL Central uh, despite not playing terribly over their last 10, the Cardinals are 5-5, five and five, but the Reds are also 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and the Cardinals, I guess, about 10 days ago were sitting a little bit behind the Reds. The Cubs uh, are a half game above the Cardinals. I think they've had some off days. The Cardinals have played three additional games compared to the Cubs, and so that'll level out a little bit this week. But yeah, the Cardinals are five and a half games behind, which isn't all that bad considering the 24-32 and 32 record. But what was bad was just the showing by the Cardinals offense today. It was completely hapless. Uh, I, it, it wasn't a bullpen game. Josh Dalmont got the start, quote-unquote, start for the Royals. But he was basically just a strict opener in this one with the bulk reliever being Mike Myers, the former Cardinal who infamously gave up like nine earned runs in his MLB debut, also at Bush Stadium. You took on the Dodgers in that game and did not make it out of the second inning. Got like maybe four outs he recorded in that one, one of the worst major league debuts by a starting pitcher ever. And, uh, you know, he's been around the block a little bit. He, uh, I remember this when he was, and nobody cares about this, but it's kind of funny. And since he's relevant again, I'll tell the story. And I don't mean to tell the story to like degrade Mike Myers. Congratulations to him on the, outing today and really the resurrection of of his career he went to the angels for a while i know and was was decent out of their bullpen but to wind up in kansas city and to be a starter for them basically and like this hasn't even been the, the full year for mike myers he only showed up within the last couple of weeks if i'm not mistaken in the kansas city rotation and i saw that he had thrown like four and two-thirds with eight strikeouts the other day like, prior to today, he only had seven and a third innings all season. So this is, like, a relatively new thing for Mike Myers. But he looks good. I mean, had a 2.45 ERA before today, and that's definitely going down. Baseball reference isn't updated yet. I could probably find it. I could find it on uh, on the MLB site, surely. His ERA down now to 1.35 in about 13 innings. So good for Mike Myers. But I remember in, like, 2019, I was living in – Georgetown, Texas, which is near Austin. And Round Rock, Texas was the affiliate at the time, the AAA affiliate of the Astros. I think it's gone kind of back and forth between the Astros and the Texas Rangers. It may be somebody else now. But at the time, it was the Astros. And Lebmes Diaz was playing there. He was an Astro, and he was uh, on a rehab assignment. I think Carlos Correa was actually down there as well. We talked to him on a rehab assignment randomly enough. But the reason I was there was because well, I lived there like one town over from uh, Round Rock. Really nice ballpark down there. And the Memphis Redbirds were in town. And I was still riding for KMOV even when I didn't live locally. And so I was like, shoot, I'll go cover. You know, I get credentialed, go cover the Memphis Redbirds in town. Uh, Alex Reyes was down there with them and was injured, of course. And I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll get a chance to talk to Alex Reyes and get an update on how he's doing in his recovery. And that's something nobody in St. Louis will have. Folks, I'm going to get the scoop. Well, Reyes didn't want to talk uh, to media 
It's a little different down there in the minors, I think, because he can just say no, and the PR guy is going to say, uh, sorry, he didn't want to talk, and that would be the end of that. Can't blame him for not wanting to talk at the time because, of course, he was just rehabbing another injury. It was always something with Alex Reyes and didn't want to talk, so that was fine. But what I did end up getting to do is talk to Mike Myers after one of his rehab starts. It was right toward the end. You could fact-check me on the dates on this, but it was right toward the end of when he was going to need to be recalled by the Cardinals because you only get so many days down there before the team has to either call you back up or designate you for assignment or whatever. And he was pitching badly in the minors. And so the Cardinals were in no rush to bring him up. And I think it was Josh Rojas, I want to say, who's who's since gotten to the big leagues. He was the batter and hit one of the longest moonshot home runs that I've ever seen in person. Like straight, dead straightaway center field, just an absolute bomb. And after the game, honestly, I don't even know why I was trying to talk to Mike Myers. Like I, In retrospect, I probably wouldn't do it now, but it was one of those things where the PR guy was like, is there anybody you want to talk to? And I was like, well, might as well talk to Mike Myers because... I, you know, I know he could get back to St. Louis and that'll be something I could write about or at least get something from, but I'm talking to him and for whatever reason, and again, this was probably dumb to ask because I wasn't, it wasn't like I was writing about the game or his performance specifically, but I asked him about the home run that he gave up and he said something to the effect of, yeah, you know, he put a good swing on it and the wind just kind of carried it out of here. And I, (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Oh. I, I don't even remember, but I audibly made a noise that was like, oh, okay. And I was kind of nodding along like you do to make sure the other person knows, like, you're listening to him and and you're not just, like, dozing off into space. I was trying to be, like, an active listener, but I think I might have made, like, an like a oh sound when he, when he said, yeah, and the wind just carried it out of here. And, dear listener, the wind had nothing to do with this home run, and that's why I just couldn't help myself with the oh. And so... He immediately responds. He goes, what, you didn't think so? And I was like, oh, God, now I've upset him. <laughs> because I was like, I had, no, I wasn't going to write about this. He probably was down there three weeks in Memphis and thinking, why is somebody from St. Louis media, like, following me around in the middle of Texas? This is ridiculous. I just, I'm struggling right now. I don't want this. And now he's asking about a home run that I gave up. And so he was like, what, you didn't think so? And I was like, oh, no, 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 I was uh, I was just trying to, you know, I just wanted your perspective or whatever I said to try to play it off because I really wasn't trying to grill him. It just was like one of those awkward things that can happen. And, uh, you know, he was really nice and, and answered questions. And then he walked back through the locker room. And then, like, he came back out a minute later. I was still waiting to see if Alex Reyes was going to show up. And Mike Myers comes back out. He's like, hey, I in like, just this obviously confused look on his face. He's like, hey, just like, uh, why are you here? <laughs> because, I, you know, I guess he had he's obviously seen me before in St. Louis and recognized me from there. But it's like, why, what are you doing here? Are you on the Mike Myers beat? Like, it had to be a very confusing thing. And so that's my Mike Myers story from the middle of nowhere in Texas. Not the middle of nowhere, greater Austin area. But I feel I feel good for Mike Myers. You know, he had that rough MLB debut. And then he's carrying that with him probably and, and trying to prove himself. And right now, I, I'm happy for him that he's uh, having some success with the Royals this year. But it was at the expense of the Cardinals today. Yeah, you probably didn't think you were getting a five-minute Mike Myers story today, but uh, that's the kind of night it is. I had, to, I had to tell that. I've never really told that publicly. So let me know if you thought that was interesting, if you thought that was dumb. Because I can, can, can give you that kind of stuff where I can say, yeah, we'll shelve it for next time. Nobody cares. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But Mike Myers was able to get it done against the Cardinals today to the detriment of, obviously, the Cardinals' record as they uh, are now eight games below 500. But there was a lot of conversation after the game, and we'll get into Wainwright's performance as well, Adam Wainwright on the mound today for the Cardinals. Kind of nondescript from him again, but we'll talk about the offense now since we're on the topic of the strain of the calendar, 19 games in 19 days. Today would have been an off day for the Cardinals. It was originally scheduled as such before the MLB schedule was officially released that the Cardinals were going to be off today, play the Royals Tuesday, Wednesday, and then be off again on Thursday. But the Cardinals wanted the Memorial Day game 
at home because, of course, everybody's off work. You're going to have a great crowd, especially on a day like today where the weather was great. And I believe they said the second highest attended since opening day. So it was the, the sixth sellout crowd of the season at Bush. So they got what they wanted from that perspective. But I guess at the time, it was in, in for people who are like, why would Mo do this? The front office, John Mozeliak, and like maybe he's involved in it because he's he's oversees a lot of stuff. But this feels more like a, a Bill DeWitt the third sort of department. Like the baseball operations staff is not out there going, hey, we need to move this game to Memorial Day so we can have more more fans in the crowd. Like that's not a decision the baseball operations department is overseeing. And so I feel like a lot of times fans are just angry about something. And so it's like, well, that's dumb. Why would they do that? They, they, they should know the players are going to be tired by the end of a stretch. Well, it's not, it's different people making decisions, right? And yeah, it's one that maybe in retrospect, like I don't think they'd do it any differently. You have stretches throughout a season all the time where guys are going to be run down a little bit. And this happens to be that stretch for the Cardinals, and it manifests today, certainly in the way they performed, especially offensively. Adam Wainwright saying, you know, the starting pitchers every fifth day, you pitch either way. So it's not like that should have had a big impact on us necessarily. But offensively, certainly seemed to be something that the Cardinals were dealing with. So I want to play this from Ollie Marmel talking about the 18 games in a row he was, he was asked about it, by the way. This was, I think, the question that led off the post-game press conference. This is not Ollie Marmel riffing on a topic, just on his own. This is a question he's asked, and so he answers it. But here was the answer that Ollie Marmel had about the 18 games in a row and the fact that they can see the light at the end of the tunnel because Tuesday is the end of this stretch. But he did admit that it is something that is wearing on the guys. Here was Ollie Marmel after the game. Honestly, day game, travel day game, and it showed. Uh, guys are at 18 in a row, and you, you can see it, you can feel it, no excuse. But they're uh, they're playing through it. Um, today it showed. It was hard to get anything going offensively. How do you how, how do you rally through that? You have one more to go in the stretch, more than two off days. How do you sort of boot it for one day and push through it? Yeah, that's what we're here for. You're professionals. You wake up. Get your body ready and you go. We're all going to have to do that. Uh, today was a tough one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to get anything going. Um, a big part of our group being able to do what they've done over the last stretch is they've gone every day. And um, part of that is 19 in a row is real. But uh, we got one more tomorrow. we got to rally and, and figure out a way to win tomorrow and then get those two off days. So that was Cardinals manager Ollie Marmel just talking about the 18 games and 18 days that they've played, and they've got one coming up on Tuesday to wrap up that stretch before the two consecutive off days on Wednesday and Thursday. And Ollie Marmel basically admitting that it's a real thing. It's a factor. He says that, you know, no, no excuse. They're not trying to make an excuse out of it, but acknowledging the reality. And I'm I'm okay with that, by the way, because I think if you are willfully ignoring the reality you're still not getting the full picture of what's going on. You might feel better about things because you can complain and be upset. I mean, if you look through the comments section, and this I, I'll just find it on Twitter, Bally Sports Midwest, they posted the link to the audio and of the post game, and the comments, oh, so hard. I mean, you're playing baseball for three hours a day. Grind away. So tired of the excuses from this organization. No excuse while making an excuse. Classic Marmel. No excuse. Here's an excuse. No excuse. And then this clown makes it. You get the idea. Again, this was a question that he was asked, not something that he just decided he wanted to riff on. And what is I just sometimes think that there's nothing that will satisfy the fan base during a losing stretch. And I've shared this opinion before. But like Ollie Marmel could sit there and and say the exact perfect thing, and then people, I feel like, would still find a way to nitpick. And then they'll turn around and say, the post-game shows don't matter. What they say after the games don't matter. Who cares? Just win on the field. It's like, okay, then why are you complaining about what was said in the post-game? I just feel like it really is impossible to please everybody, short of just winning all the games, which would be nice if they could do that. But I think it's reality, what Ollie Marmel is talking about here, that these 19 games in 19 days are a factor. But at the same time, I think there's a difference between an excuse and an explanation for what we're seeing. 
an excuse would be, hey, we play all these games, and because of that, uh, you know, it shouldn't count against us. You shouldn't hold this against us that we're losing these games. No, I think they know that that the win-loss record is what matters. And Ollie Marmel knows that, and the way that I know that he knows that is because he's talked about it a lot throughout the season. But I don't think explaining or just responding in, in truth to a question, asking about the fatigue factor, is excuse-making. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I know that people disagree with me. And like I said, some of the comments that I got about everybody was giving me their their life story about I work this long and this many hours a day. And the point that I was trying to make, if you if you ran across my tweets, and I regret, like I said, regret being a little bit prickly in some of those exchanges, but it just kind of got to me. I'll tell you about another tweet that did not get to me, but was the single funniest reply that I've ever seen to a tweet. And it was uh, re- re- referencing an Adam Wainwright tweet. So when we talk about Wayne, no, I'll talk about this tweet that I got from, I think his name is Anthony. But the point that I was trying to make in some of these exchanges was right now when they don't have a, an actual off day where there's no game, even on a day where you're not playing and you're out of the starting lineup because everybody said, well, it's not like all these players played all 19 games, so they've had off days. Even on these off days for these guys in this stretch, they're, they've they got a six-hour, seven-hour workday, even on their day off because you got to get to the ballpark four hours early or whatever it is, and you're you're putting in work and you're doing your workouts. You Maybe you're warming up before the game, batting cage, different things, and then the game happens, and it's not like you're taking a nap in the dugout. And, like, I, it's honestly not all that different from anybody if you've got, a like, a desk job, which I do a lot of my work sitting down. It doesn't make it not work. doesn't make it rest time. These guys are resting maybe by not being in the lineup, but they're engaged in a two-and-a-half to three-hour game, and then whatever responsibilities happen post-game. And you have to be there. Like, you have to physically be present, and this is a, a line of work where you're traveling. And so they have, a you know, two cities in six days, back home for two, back out on the road. Like, it's it takes something out of you to be on the road and to be traveling. I, I had a car ride for an hour and a half home and back this weekend, and that took a lot out of me just being in the, you know, that's not even the, the tip of the iceberg of the kind of travel these guys do throughout a season. So, again, I don't think it's like they got to be made into martyrs. That's not what I'm saying. But to act like, oh, because I've worked a hard day in my life, too, and, and I, I I don't get off days at work, like, I feel like it gets way too, uh, it gets to a weird place for me that rather than just be objective about it and go, oh, yeah, you know, there probably are some grueling factors that I don't understand because I think I'm working while watching these Cardinals games because I, I, I watch it three hours a day and, you know, I put the time in, like, it's so much more that happens that you don't get to see on television. And so I feel like, and again, this is kind of soapboxy. I get it. You may just totally disagree with me on this. But I feel like to acknowledge the rigors of 18 consecutive games and then coming up tomorrow will be number 19. Nothing wrong with that. It should be acknowledged. It should be talked about because it's context. It's context for what we're seeing. Now, finding a way to grind through that is the job of this baseball team and the offense in particular. So, Ollie said it showed today that the guys are playing through it and it was hard to get anything going offensively because guys are run down. Now, Paul Goldschmidt has had multiple off days over the past couple weeks and a handful of days where he's not playing first base. It was another day where he DH'd today and there's been nothing said about injury. It's just trying to keep him fresh, which again is maybe the right approach because last September he completely fell off the map and the Cardinals obviously aren't going to be looking to give him days off in September when you're hopefully in a pennant chase. So now would be the time to try and keep him fresh. If you're going to buy him some days, they're going to buy him in May, not September or August. So I get it from that perspective. But I am definitely on, I won't say red alert, but I'm on the the spidey senses are tingling of like, is there really nothing more going on with Goldschmidt? Because it's been a lot of days where they've gotten him off of his feet, whether to DH or to have, a full day off as they did when uh, Arnado, Contreras, and Goldie were all off on the same day. Don't know if there's anything more to it than that. The Cardinals have indicated no, but I just want to kind of bring it up again just so it's something that people are maybe keeping their eyes on 
uh, because I'm curious what you guys think. At B. Schaefer 12 on Twitter, let me know. Kind of interesting, the extent to which they have really given Goldie some latitude there. And again, that might just be the exact correct approach based on how he sort of, you could say, broke down or lost steam late last season. Still won the MVP of the National League, but he was not the same guy the final few weeks. And so if you're trying to prevent that, the preventative measure would be, hey, get him some more sporadic days throughout the season. But today was another one of those days. But like even as they've given these off days to some of the regulars and, and gotten guys in a DH spot when they otherwise would be playing the field to, to save them a little bit there, it is noticeable that you're talking about the fatigue factor and yet you've got a guy that is the 26th man on this roster and a third catcher who flat out has not played, has not been used. You have basically played this entire stretch a man down. Save for a couple of games where Trace Pereira has come in and caught in the late innings. Didn't start a single game, not one, during this stretch. And it's not like I'm advocating for him to, because you don't really need to maximize the utilization of your third catcher when you've got Contreras that can catch now. That whole weirdness is over. And Andrew Kisner has drawn several starts and opportunities. The whole reason we've talked about that Pereira is here is when Kisner catches, Contreras DHs. That combo happens. You have to have somebody, in case they want to pinch hit for Kisner, the Cardinals think they've got to have somebody who can take over behind the plate without burning the designated hitter. And we've talked about that that's not a thing because if this is the eighth or ninth inning, which is basically what it always is for Barrera when he comes in, then you can just assume his spot in the batting order won't come up again anyway. And if it does, you have an actual pinch hitter on the bench to DH to where that could be the pitcher spot. You can literally burn the DH, have Contreras then take over behind the plate, burn the DH, and if it should ever get to the pitcher spot, you'd have somebody else, whoever took Trace Pereira's roster spot, ideally Luke and Baker, just a dude that can mash off the bench. Over the weekend, he hit a broken bat home run where all he was left with was the handle of the bat in his hand, and it went like 400 feet. Just, I've never seen anything like that. If you saw the uh, video from over the weekend in AAA. Just insane. He's OPSing over 1,000, I still believe, and uh, like 15 home runs on the year. Cardinals don't think it's real, I guess. They they seem to be paying no attention to the man behind the curtain with the, the bat handle and the 400-foot homers. Like, I just think they don't think it's real. I don't know. At this point, you just kind of throw your hands up and go, well, it's not fake. I mean, it's still happening down there, and maybe he would come up here and just get eaten alive by breaking balls. Maybe that's the scouting report, and they trust that. But at this point, I just don't understand. And it's not like you would you would lose sleep over – if you don't care about him as a major league potential player, you're not going to lose sleep over the idea that he's out of the organization if you have to call him up for a couple days, but then you DFA him and somebody get, claims him. I, I just don't understand what the concern would be. He's like 26 years old. Clearly, they don't consider him a prospect, and maybe that's shame on them. This is really the first season that he has developed and blossomed this way at the plate. But I don't know. I think at a certain point, it's got to be worth seeing, especially when you can make the case of, well, there's a 26 man on this roster that's a catcher that just flat out doesn't play. Jeff Jones of Belleville News Democrat put it out in a tweet where he calculated over this stretch. Barrera has five game appearances, didn't make a start, two plate appearances, and eight total innings in the field in 18 games. And Jeff also put on there Juan Yepes played in 12 of the games, but only started five of them and made a grand total of 20 plate appearances. So you've got, I mean, again, this is an era of 26-man roster, 13-man pitching staff, 13-man position player group. You have a DH in there every day, so you've got four guys on the bench. Half of the Cardinals bench has virtually, I won't say unused, because Yepes did gain or garner 20 plate appearances, but that's in 18 games. You're basically just tying one hand behind your back and trying to navigate your way through this stretch that is, I'm going to say, supposedly so grueling. And it's not that I disagree with it being grueling. I think it is. I see a lot of those things that maybe some some Cardinals fans out there just don't see or don't want to listen to because it, it feels better to be able to 
to bitch and moan, which I get. It's fun to bitch and moan. But I think there are also realities here that it's fair. In the sake of fairness, I'd like to acknowledge when it comes to the rigors of the daily schedule for these guys. But at the same time, what are the Cardinals doing with this bench? Why is Barrera still here if the Cardinals aren't going to use him? Why is Juan Yepes still here if the Cardinals aren't going to use him? I know the answer to that question is because he's got nothing left to prove at AAA, and then he's on this bench, but he can't play in the field. You know, I I don't mean it in a in a mean or hostile way. He's a poor, poor defender, no matter where you put him. And he's tried to gain strides and has made some nice plays in the outfield, but the consistency has been lacking to my eye. And so Ali Marble doesn't trust him to make these outfield starts, I think is pretty clear by the the usage at this point because they've seen really good things out of his bat before. And if they wanted to try to extract those things, especially as Cardinals outfielders are dropping like flies, talk about the Lars Newpart injury today when we get into the injury section here in a little bit. But they have really, you know, guarded against having to use Juan Yepes. And I understand why. But at the same time, it's just I feel bad for him because he could go somewhere where he wouldn't need to field and Maybe that's just not realistic, although every MLB team does have a DH at this point. The Cardinals happen to want to use their DH spot on the guy who's the best hitter on the team, Nolan Gorman. So that makes it a little tough to get Yeppy in there. But there's got to be a place. But the Cardinals aren't in the business of, like, the foster home for imaginary skill sets where they're like, we can send Juan Yepes to this team because they could use him. It's not MLB the show, and it's not their responsibility uh, but at a certain point, you'd like to think that via trade, they could get some value for some of these guys. But I just think MLB teams around the league look at it and go, well, the Cardinals aren't using that guy. And so eventually they'll just, you know, the, the price only goes down the longer the role doesn't doesn't match the, the potential there. And so that's where the Cardinals are at. Ollie Marble doesn't seem to want to use these guys when it comes to Juan Yepes. And I mean, Pereira, he has no use for. So I just don't know why he's here. But I don't, I don't also know if that's a case of Marmel, that's the bench he wants, or if it's the bench John Moselak has bestowed upon him. If they're on the same page, if they're not, it doesn't really matter. It just kind of, and, and it does make it a little tougher now that injuries keep piling up. And so some days you might, like tomorrow, Lars Newbar, if he's not on the IL, which, you know, had the, had the back injury, the back spasms pop up, but they've got two off days coming up and it can be retroactive. So I imagine they just play a man short tomorrow, but they're already doing that every day with the Brera thing. And so if you've got these bench spots and it's so important to get these guys rest, you would think they'd be a little more versatile in the way that they're willing to use these players and to get everybody the rest that they need to not completely break down because the schedule is the schedule. You know, it's an explanation. It's not an excuse, but to try and counteract it, there are things to do and always tried to do many of them, but the roster, once again, we're getting back to roster construction. I just do not think has been assembled very effectively for Ali Marmel this year. And so everybody wants to fire Ali, and that's fine. You're going to have your opinions. But I'm looking at the roster and going, I know he didn't, you know, he didn't put this together. He's here to manage it, but he did not construct it. Good to see, though, Wilson Contreras break out of an 0 for 27 slump with a base hit today. Arenado got the the first base hit. It was in the eighth inning. And then Contreras followed it right up with a hit of his own up the middle. And he basically bat flipped the single up the middle because he was now 0 for 27, which is a, a no hitter in and of itself. Like he got perfect gamed on his own. Although I don't know, he might've had a walk in there, but 0 for 27 without a hit. Finally broke, broke out of that one. Cardinals had first and second, and then they had three quick pop flies to either second base or short right field in a row, which ended their only thing you could quantify as a threat the entire game and so they lost the game that way but yeah those are the offensive highlights I just gave them to you Arnado Contreras a couple of base hits and they did not move from those stations after the fact I said I was going to get into Adam Wainwright and I want to do that now because we've still got some injuries to talk about and then I do want to wrap up with Jordan Walker today some interesting audio I think to hear from both Mo and Walker on kind of what his progress and plan has been down at uh, AAA Memphis want to remind you guys to follow Be Shaped Daily on Spotify, but I want to ask especially if you would subscribe to the YouTube channel, even if you just listen on Spotify and you don't use YouTube, head over to youtube.com slash at Be Shaped 12. You put the at into the YouTube uh, URL, just like the at Be Shaped 12 on Twitter, the handle. 
and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It would do wonders for me. Once I get to a thousand, I can join the creator program on YouTube, which would be a big step as we've built that up since the beginning of April. You guys have been great about that, but I just want to keep kind of harping on that. It would help me so much. And then once we get to a thousand, I don't have to harp on it nearly as much anymore. So thank you guys so much for helping me out with that. But let's talk about Adam Wainwright in the hilarious tweet reply that I got today. The funniest that I've ever seen. For sure. I told my wife right away, like, this is the funniest. Like, <laughs> it was just so out of left field. And uh, I said it was from Anthony, at Anthony on uh, Anthony James 230 on Twitter. I'm going to shout him out. You guys got to follow this guy, I guess, because he's hilarious. But um, he he does not like me maybe all that much. I Here's what it was. I uh, was down in the bowels of Bush Stadium, right behind home plate, basically, They've got a KMOX studio down there where they do, uh, Matt Pauly does like the radio pregame, postgame, that sort of stuff for the Cardinals radio network on KMOX. And he asked if I would record with him today a segment that they would air on Sports Open Line after the game. And I was like, sure, sounds awesome. Had never been in the KMOX studio down there at the ballpark. And so popped in right before first pitch and recorded a segment with him and then walked right out. And Wainwright was doing his warm-up tosses. And so I just walked right through and now I'm basically in the green seats behind home plate in that section. And I, and I snapped a couple of pictures and I tweeted out God's country on Memorial Day because uh, Wayno's walk up song for the last several years or his entrance music as he's warming up before a game has been God's country by Blake Shelton. And it used to be Dixieland delight, but he's gone away from that into God's country. And so it booms through the Bush Stadium speakers. If you've been to a Cardinal game and an Adam Wainwright start, you know what I'm talking about. And it's just a nice vibe. And so I, I had that tweet with the picture of Wayno, And I said, Wainwright looking for number 198. Uh, didn't find it. He's still looking, but he's stuck on 197 wins. Five innings, three runs allowed, nine hits allowed by Wainwright today. As uh, he said, he's in one of these stretches right now where every batted ball feels like it's it's finding a hole and, and it's a hit. And Cardinals fans don't really want to hear that because every pitcher always thinks the contact he's giving up is not as hard as it is. Um, and so he feels like a lot of soft contact getting through. I feel like for Wainwright, it's true, but also he's a pitch-to-contact guy, and so you're kind of at the mercy of that contact, right? And you need that contact to be generally softer than than harder, but even in those times, like it does happen that you can go through stretches or a game where if you are leaving yourself open to the notion of contact as a main staple of your game, you're leaving yourself open to the possibility that you get hit around and a lot of those balls can find holes. And that's what happened to Wainwright today. Nine hits allowed, two walks as well. Like, if you're going to give up that kind of contact, you basically got to be perfect with your command. You can't walk anybody. And so the 11 base runners, they turn into three runs. It was a kind of a typical Waino outing at this point where he goes five innings. You'd like to see him go a little deeper. But for the 11 base runners that he gave up, only three runs come across to score. And he actually had a season high in strikeouts with six. So, for me, I'm still seeing positive strides from Wainwright. But Anthony James, my buddy on Twitter, seemed to know that that's exactly what I would say about Adam Wainwright today because in reply to my my photo of Wainwright before the game, Anthony replied, just know your candy ass is going to defend Waino tonight on that podcast, effing weirdo. And he didn't say effing, but you know what that word is. And so that was the, that was the reply called me a candy ass and predicted I would defend Wayno on that podcast, effing weirdo. So we got effing weirdo and candy ass in the same tweet, which is nice. And so I retweeted that and said, Cardinals fans, subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify, Apple, and now available on YouTube. Listeners simply can't stop raving about the show <laughs> because that was the uh, the best testimonial, I guess, that I got all day from anybody. So I thought that was pretty funny, and I guess the prediction is sort of going to come through because what I'll say about Adam Wainwright is it was not – I mean, he was not the reason the Cardinals lost today, for sure. The bullpen was not good. Steven Matz came in and gave him two and two-thirds innings. I guess that's something that we should probably talk about because Steven Matz was in the Cardinals rotation the last time we did one of these episodes. And over the weekend, Ollie Marmel said he'll be available out of the bullpen for the next couple of days, and then we're going to reset the rotation after the two off days. So – I don't. I would hope that the two and two thirds innings of one run baseball while striking out four 
and not walking anybody. I would hope that that's not enough to just get Matt's right back into the rotation. I still maintain that what Matthew Libertor did is enough for me, even though in his start on Friday, things kind of went off the rails a little bit for him in that fifth inning. We had the explanation for what I thought happened there was I didn't like the Cardinals' defensive alignment. I thought they kind of hung Libby out to dry by bringing the infield in at the corners in a situation where ground ball double play, yeah, one run scores, but you probably go, you know, get that next guy, and and suddenly you're five innings, one run allowed, and Libby is looking great again. So those were the margins of Friday. And I said, it's enough for me to, to give Libertor more opportunities to see what maybe he can do. I think he's a guy who has upside in the rotation where I'm not sure that Matt's does. I think we've seen what that looks like for, from him. And it wasn't all that impressive over the 20 starts he's made for the Cardinals. But he did come out of the bullpen and do a, a, a nice enough job. Got into trouble there in his uh, third inning of work. Two and two thirds, two hits, one run allowed before strikeouts. So sharper than he had been. But for me... It's because of the role he's in. I like him better in those limited stints. I think he can pump the velocity a little bit more and can isolate the repertoire. And Ollie Marmel even said he was working in the slider more, which is last week what I said he could potentially do if those other off-speed and breaking pitches aren't working for him. Mix in the slider. You can use multiple pitches if you want, but you you can always let one go if on that given day it's not working for you because you're not going to face the batters a second time in, in most cases. So Matt's did okay. Uh, Verhagen really struggled. Five hits, three runs allowed, gave up multiple bombs. He was he was the struggle bus out of the bullpen for the Cardinals, and then they had to bring in Chris Stratton just to get through nine innings, even though clearly the Cardinals, the, the cause had been lost at that point. They lose 7 nothing, A run in the eighth and three in the ninth for the Royals to make it that score. But Adam Wainwright was not the reason the Cardinals lost. Like I said, the bullpen did what, that, what, what they did, and offensively, the Cardinals had two base runners all game, two hits, no walks. So, yeah, if it's defending Adam Wainwright to say he's not the reason the Cardinals lost today, then I guess that's what I'll do. And I'll also continue to say, despite his 6.15 ERA, that I do expect Adam Wainwright to improve. And I think you'll see that number lower by the end of the season. I think it'll be below 5. By the end of the season, he's only made like five starts. He's had some bad ones, and he's giving up a ton of hits. He sounded rather confident still after the game that this was a stretch that he will continue to work through. And again, I don't think he was terrible today. I think nine hits is, you, you got to trim that down to be six or seven. Even for a guy who pitches to contact, he's got to find a way to just continue executing at a little bit of a higher level. And I ultimately think Wainwright's going to be a, a mainstay in the rotation through the end of the season. I do not expect him to get pulled. Time will tell on that. He can't have a 6.15 ERA in two months and not have that be a conversation. But I also just tend to believe that he's going to continue to, to work toward figuring it out. And maybe that's why I'll continue to get replies like the one from uh, Anthony today. Candy ass. There you have it. But yeah, I'm thinking I'm not jumping off of uh, the bandwagon, if if we're calling it that, for Adam Wainwright, because I still think he's got more in the tank. And again, five innings, three runs is not a great start. You at least want to see that be a quality start, and so he's got to be a little more efficient. If you're going to give up that base knock, do it earlier, earlier in the count, I guess, because 105 pitches, only five innings, he needs to be better. But I still feel like he's not killing them right now, and he's going to I expect sort of the Miles Michaelis trajectory of now we're seeing Miles start to hone things in. I think that's where Wainwright is heading. But if that doesn't happen, then I'll end up having to to reckon with that. And, you know, the, the, the calls for Wainwright's removal from the rotation or whatever, I'm sure will get louder from y'all. And that's that's totally within within the realm of, uh, of, of your jurisdiction, I would say, at this point as a Cardinals fan. It's just for me, where I look at it, I don't see it that way. But I can respect it if you guys do. I just don't think the Cardinals, I mean, certainly the Cardinals are not imminently looking to make that move with Wainwright. So we'll see what he's able to do, but that was that was some fun. I appreciated the fun reply, and uh, I, I don't know if I was meant to have fun with it the way that I did, but it did give me a good laugh. So I uh, ultimately, I appreciate that at the end of the day. But let's go ahead and shift gears here into a little bit of injury talk before we wrap up the podcast. Podcast, that sounded weird. Could edit that out, but I think I'm going to leave it in. Before we wrap up the podcast with some Jordan Walker talk, let's talk about injuries. Tyler O'Neill's rehab is at a standstill, which is not all that different from what we had heard on the road trip. 
but don't expect to see him anytime soon. Cardinals fans, I think the team is fed up with the Tyler O'Neill situation. I'm not saying there's not a legitimate reason for his injury or for the back kind of flaring up or whatever the case is. The standstill, I don't know what to make of that. I'm intrigued again to get to ask Will Carroll, the injury expert, talks a lot of MLB injuries. He's got a sub stack that he does about injuries. And we talked with him last week and talked about feeling like maybe the reason for the stop in his progress in terms of the rehab was that he was needing to trust his back and be confident in being able to do what he needed to do to be healthy and be effective. And that level of trust maybe wasn't there with the situation. I don't really know. I'm going to ask him again on Tuesday, and we'll have that on the big show on KTGR around 420 on Tuesday's show. But beyond that, like in an official capacity, there's just not a lot to report. And a standstill means you get left in the dust. And I think that's where Tyler O'Neill is being left. Don't just assume that when he comes back, if he comes back, that he's just going to go right into the lineup. I don't see that as the case anymore. I think I think he's an absolute trade chip possibility. It is made tougher that he's injured, but if you can get a relief pitcher for him at this point and you're the Cardinals, I think you probably do that because this whole situation, his whole year has been an unmitigated disaster from the call out for hustle, which you may have taken Tyler's side on that. You may have taken Ollie's side on that. Here's the sides, though, that matter. The only side that matters is the production when he's been on the field, has been poor. His 620 OPS is not going to cut it. It's not 2021 Tyler O'Neill. That is that is hardly a, a, a bench bat version of Tyler O'Neill. And now he's just flat unavailable and no timetable on a standstill. I guess that means within a couple of days he could be ramping back up. But a standstill, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have expectations. Jake Woodford maybe getting to uh, some rehab going on here soon, which is good for him. Uh, Lars Newpar, though, back to the outfield situation. Dylan Carlson also taking some swings from both sides of the plate now to try to work his way back, but it still feels like it'll be a little bit for him. But Lars Newpar is the one that the Cardinals have got to hope that they don't lose. He had a play in the second inning today where he crashed into the center field wall and kind of banged his back up against the wall with some pretty good force. And then in the next inning was running down a ball in the right center field gap and just crumpled into a heap near the warning track where you kind of saw it live and you thought, oh my gosh, Achilles, like it looked like a sniper got him. Just absolutely just falls into a heap on the ground. And you're thinking, could that be Achilles? Could that be a hamstring pop? Could that be an ACL? Like you're fearing the worst, honestly. Trainer goes out, Ollie goes out. He walks very gingerly. Looked like under his own power, but still was going very, very slowly off of the field. Mercado comes into play center. But it's like, what? I mean, they could have said anything about Lars Nupar in that the press box update that they gave on his condition, and I, it wouldn't have surprised me. What they did say was back spasms, which I thought that's probably as good of an outcome as you could have hoped for, having seen the play. But then you go back and watch it with the back injury in mind after they had announced it, and you realize, like, okay, in the second inning, he slammed his back on that play, and so maybe it just kind of locked up on him, tensed up on him in the next inning when he's, like, trying to sprint full speed. That's ultimately, I think, what it was, but at Lars Newbar's locker after the game, and he basically reiterated those points that, yeah, we'll wake up on Tuesday and see how it feels. I, I'll just tell you anecdotally, he didn't look like he was moving too swiftly. You know, had had some some slip slip-on shoes that weren't all the way, his heel was not all the way on, like, he kind of slipped into him, but you know how sometimes you might be able to, and I do this, I don't know if people do this, but if you have your shoes that you would tie, I think these had t- laces on them, but you might just be able to kind of slip your feet in and, and wear your shoes kind of loose unless you're, like, getting athletic with it. That's often what I'll do. I'll just be able to slip my feet in, and I might have to pull on the 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 back of the heel to, like, get my whole foot in there. He couldn't very well do that with a dozen media members kind of waiting to see how his back would look, and so... He didn't, I didn't see him do it before, you know, kind of vacated the area, actually put his shoes on all the way, which is not to say that he couldn't have done it, but it was noticeable that it was like, all right, he just doesn't look like he's fully comfortable with the way he's moving. And I, that's one of those things that probably be worse when you wake up the next day. Like if it, if it's a very minor thing, maybe it does feel better right away, but it also could be one where it just feels like a, it feels like a three day deal for me. 
which is fine because you have tomorrow and then two off days. So I would say there's a better than equal chance that Lars Newpar is ready to go by Friday. I would be very surprised to see him in the lineup on Tuesday, though. The Cardinals have to hope he's ready by Friday. And they can take the three days because you can do an IL stint retroactive to three days previously. So if he doesn't play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I guess they'd have to put him on and it would be retroactive until back to today, Monday. But the Cardinals really, I think, are in a spot where they're hoping they don't have to do that. If Dylan's not ready to come back yet, nobody knows what's going on with Tyler. And you've got Tommy Edmond playing right field, which is okay. But Mercado's bat has dipped. And, you know, he was exciting at first, but you're kind of seeing the player that eventually got released by Cleveland. I think he's got a nice skill set, but he'd be better served as a bench outfielder and a, a spark plug rather than a guy you have to plug in every single day in your outfield. And right now it feels like that's what's kind of going to have to happen. Burleson's getting regular at bats. He did Homer over the weekend, but, you know, it's one of those one of those things where has he... Has his bat demanded that daily playing time? Maybe not. And so all of a sudden, the Cardinals outfield that was robust and they had so many guys, they didn't know what to do with them. And they had to send out Jordan Walker as, you know, as part of the explanation beyond just they want him to get more lift on the ball, hit the ball in the air more. That's where they are with Walker, which we'll get to here in a minute. But part of that was they had a crowded outfield and now it really feels like they don't. You've got basically two infielders that are going to be playing in your outfield sporadically between Edmund and Donovan and feels like they could have room for Jordan Walker to return. But at the same time, he is a strict right fielder, not going to be taking any reps in center. That's for damn sure. He just is not quite on that level at this point. Defensively, he really struggled in the outfield, which I, I get it because he's pretty new to the position. Really didn't start playing outfield until that Harrison Bader trade, which by the way, that's another piece of injury news around the game. He's got hamstring tightness with the Yankees, and so maybe another IL stint for Bader, which kind of stinks because he'd been playing really well. But I don't know if this would mean Jordan Walker back to the Cardinals if Newpar needs an IL stint because, honestly, it would it's not going to change your center field situation, which is where Newtbar has been playing. And so you could go Mercado in center, and you still want to get Edmonds back into the lineup, and so he'll probably continue to play some right field. And then Burleson and left, like, I don't really know what aspect of that would be changed by Jordan Walker's arrival. They don't really seem to put Edmund in left. They feel best with him in right. You could put him in center, but that's kind of reminding me of Colton Wong in center, and that was a bad idea. Edmund, I think, has played there a game or two in the past. I don't remember when, but it seems kind of familiar that he might have done that. It's not ideal, and so they're probably hoping Lars Newpar is going to be okay. But like I said, wasn't moving great after the game on Monday. You're, you're going to read into every little movement you see in the, in the post-game locker room as he's standing there answering questions, which is not fair to him, but wasn't moving too sharp. I think he'll be better in a few days if it was just, you know, back spasms, but backs are weird. And I say backs are weird while also kind of saying of Tyler O'Neill that the Cardinals need to get him into gear if he wants to have a role here, but his thing was also a back, so that could be a little tricky. Uh, we'll have to see what ends up happening there, but that's kind of the injury situation, and we kind of wonder... Could that mean the return of Jordan Walker? But let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast with a conversation on Jordan Walker. Because, well, a couple of things. We basically heard from both Jordan Walker and John Mozeliak today on the subject of Jordan Walker. Let's go ahead and start with Mo. This is going to be courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Jim the Cat Hayes interviewing John Mozeliak before Monday's game and asked him a question about Jordan Walker and his progress. And here's what Mo had to say about the Cardinals' top prospect. You know, I spoke with our, our hitting coaches down there recently, and, and, and they're very encouraged what they're seeing out of him. Obviously, even at the minor league level, you still want some consistency, and so we want to see that. But, you know, he was sent down there with a, with a very direct line of what he needed to do to get better, and we're seeing that, and that's encouraging. So I think maybe the very last part there from John Mozeliak is the part that's the most interesting where he says that Walker was sent down there with a very direct line on what they wanted to see out of him to get him to improve upon some things and get back to St. Louis. And we know that that direct line, that instruction, that that edict that he had been given by the organization was to try and lift the ball more, hit the ball in the air because he has such a powerful swing 
if he can launch angle it rather than hit a lot of balls into the ground at a very high ground ball rate, if he can make that little shift to his game, the Cardinals thought, well, my goodness, he's going to hit for a lot more power because instead of ground balls, those will turn into line drives and powerful fly balls that can maybe leave the ballpark and score your team runs. That's what the, the Cardinals have said they wanted out of Jordan Walker. However, Jordan Walker got to Memphis and struggled mightily right away to where people were wondering what the heck was going on with him. Well, this is an interesting update to that. Matt Infield, who is down there in Memphis with WMC Action News 5, a uh, sports reporter and anchor down in Memphis, had a feature story that he put together on Jordan Walker tonight for that TV station and tweeted out a snippet of some of the... uh, the dugout interviews that that took place. You see a lot of mic flags in there from the local stations. That's my one regret is not being able to get to Memphis and Springfield and stuff yet over the last couple of seasons. But uh, yeah, having a baby does, it does uh, change things. People out there with kids know what I'm talking about. So I haven't been been able to make those road trips yet, but uh, since I wasn't there, we're going to totally give Matt the credit for this. And I would love to maybe find a way to, to, to chat with Matt, and uh, get his thoughts on everything going on down there. Maybe for a future podcast, let me know what you think about that. If you want some more Jordan Walker insight, he might be able to provide some of that. Got to hook back up with Kyle Reese, too. And he's always willing to do it. It's just been my schedule. I haven't been able to to reach out to him yet and, and fit it in with uh, with making it happen. But I want to play this from, uh, from Matt Infield, who you can find at Matt underscore Infield, just like the baseball infield, it looks like, on Twitter, Matt Infield with, once again, WMC Action News 5 down there in Memphis. He has this from Jordan Walker. Now, keep in mind when you listen to this, what John Mozeliak said was, oh, they, they, we knew exactly what we wanted to see him do, had the direct line on it, and we've been seeing those improvements. Here's what Jordan Walker says about his performance in Memphis. I kind of went back to what I was doing before. Um, I was told to start hitting the ball in the air, and that kind of got to me a little bit about trying to force the ball in the air a little bit too much. Um, and I forced myself to do things that I usually don't do. So right now I'm not too worried about getting the ball in the air more, and I'm starting to drive the ball a lot better now. So I think it's just, you know, being more relaxed and not thinking about it at the plate. There's no point if I try and hit the ball in the air if I'm not hitting the ball at all, you know. So I might as well hit the ball hard, and if it's on the ground, it's on the ground. I'm trying to, you know, find a hole, maybe drive a run in, and then – I feel like as I go through the season, it's going to get more in the air just like it did last year. So I just have to trust myself and trust how my swing's been. You know, the past three years I've been in the organization, and that's just what I have faith in. There's no point to try to hit the ball in the air if I'm not hitting the ball at all. That is from Cardinals' top prospect, Jordan Walker. So it sounds like two guys may be on different pages about what's going on. And now, in fairness, Moselak could be getting reports that Walker's looking good and those things could be true because we've seen the numbers come up. But remember, when he got to Memphis, really struggled. And you're hearing some insight there from Jordan Walker, courtesy of Matt Infield, down there in Memphis with WMC Action News 5. The fact that Jordan Walker basically said, yeah, I kind of gave up on all that, and I went back to doing what I do. And so the whole point, maybe not the whole point, but a big point for the Cardinals in sending him down in the first place was the idea that Jordan Walker would work on the launch angle and would try to hit the ball in the air more. And it sounds like at the beginning he was trying to be coachable and do that and and cater to what the organization wanted to see him do to progress in the way that they want him to progress. But he was really struggling. Had a 150-some-odd batting average and was not hitting for power or for anything at the time. And eventually it sounds like, based on the kid's own words, he said, hey, I got to do what I do. And the rest will come. But I'll I'll start hitting the ball in the air as the season goes along, because that's kind of what I did last year, and I kind of hit my stride. And it sounds like they wanted him to make some changes, and and he really tried to do them, but it messed with the swing too much. It messed with his mindset and his approach too much to where he said, "I can't keep doing this. I just have to do what makes me Jordan Walker, what makes me the number one prospect in baseball." Into that, I say, yeah, no kidding. This is a tricky one because people are going to look at this and say, oh, this is evidence of the Cardinals. They can't develop talent. And, like, I think there might be some communication that clearly could be improving in this instance where if Jordan Walker is feeling this way about things, you know, is he is he probably telling his coaches down there in AAA about that? I feel like they've got a handle on it. 
but at the same time, you're the you're the guy whose career it is, right? And so you say, look, man, I'm not producing right now, and it's not that your guys' ideas work great, but I did get to be a top prospect for a reason. And so it's like the balance between a guy knowing his own game and the instruction and the critiques and the, the tweaks and the small little changes that can be made to improve something that's already really good. It feels like in this case, Jordan Walker felt like not only was he not improving upon the thing that was good, it was like he was being made to almost tear it down and start over or or maybe not start from scratch, but have something that was no longer recognizable as the way he wants to go about it and the, 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 the elements of his game that make him successful. And so that was definitely eye-raising to me. I, I think a lot of Cardinals fans found it that way as well. I retweeted Matt and shared the video and said in which Jordan Walker explains that the Cardinals sent him down trying to get him to hit the ball in the air more, but that messed him up. So right now he's not too worried about getting the ball in the air and just wants to be himself and the rest will come. I think there's a happy medium between these two things where that's where, where I bring up like the messaging and the communication where it's like if Jordan Walker hits the ball in the air more with authority, he's going to have more production because of it. But also, if the Cardinals are just fixated on, hey, dude, just do this thing, it's so simple, but they don't find the way to nurture and communicate and get him from point A to point B effectively, they just say, hey, point B is where you need to be, man. If you're not at point B, then you're nowhere. And you're Jordan Walker going, I think I've, you know, it's not that he's sitting there being haughty or or anything of the sort to say, I've gotten pretty far in this game doing it this way. I don't think it's that big of a fundamental change, or it shouldn't be. It should be small tweaks, right? But I think there came a point where he had to kind of get back to the basics of what he does, and and now maybe that's coincided with the production of his that has increased in Memphis. So, yep, I'm not going to lie to you. This was a bad look to see this pop up from, from Jordan Walker, a bad look for the Cardinals to basically say he – the idea of getting lift on the ball got to his head and and then he struggled. And now he says, Hey, there's no point if I try to hit the ball in the air, if I'm not hitting the ball at all. So he's, he's sounds like he's kind of back to doing what he does. And here's my thing with all of that. That's fine. Ultimately, would you like to see a, a ground ball rate change and improve and decrease so that you're getting more balls on a line and in the air with authority, not just pop-ups, but like legit fly balls. Yeah. That's ultimately what you want for Jordan Walker. But again, what is the what are the Cardinals going to do to nurture what he already is doing and get him from point A to point B without screwing up his swing and screwing up his mentality and his approach? That's where the coaching and the organizational philosophy and all those things need to align. And they need to get Jordan Walker where he needs to be or leave him alone and let him figure it out himself because he seems to be plenty capable enough of doing that. Like, the the thing the Cardinals want from him, I think, are positive things. But if they're not facilitating that progress, then that's on the team to be able to get to a point where they're doing a better job of that. All that being said, maybe it's all much ado about nothing because Mosellock says they're seeing the progress from him that they wanted to see, which is like kind of crazy if he's basically said, yeah, I'm not doing the stuff that, that they wanted me to do. I'm doing what I do. And I think it's also fascinating because you can also look back to spring training and say, well, he had some struggles toward the end of spring, but the Cardinals said they saw enough in him, in his game, in his swing. Everything that pertains to his game was enough for them at the end of March. But then four weeks later, it wasn't. That's where I cannot still find a way to square that circle because it's patently ridiculous. If you were going to bring him up in the first place, you had to do so with a commitment to stick with him through some some struggles. Dude tied Ted Williams or broke his record or whatever he did for the hit streak to start a career. Like, he was doing something right. Even as they sent him down, he was like four for his last ten with a couple of walks or something. Like, he was legitimately contributing right up until the end when they stopped playing him for two days in a row in San Francisco, and then they decided to send him down. If you were ever going to send him down before the calendar even turned to May, probably shouldn't have brought him up in the first place. That's the St. Louis Cardinals. You, they can spin it however they want. That is an organizational failure by the St. Louis Cardinals. That doesn't mean fire Ollie. doesn't mean fire Mo. It means those two and everybody else in the front office, everybody that contributes in the baseball 
the baseball operations department had to have done a better job because the guy that they said was good enough at the end of March is still the same guy that he is today, even after they said, hey, can you do some of this with your swing? And he tried it, and now he's kind of back to the basics of, of what he wants to do well and probably, yeah, we'll have, have that ground ball rate that he'll continue to work through, but it has to come in a more natural way, I think, for him to get to that place of hitting the ball in the air with launch and all those things. The way the Cardinals evidently went about it wasn't something he was super comfortable with. But like I said, maybe it's no big deal because the Cardinals are like, yeah, he's doing it. The dude in charge of the team said the reports I'm getting suggest that he's doing it and he's making progress there. So who knows? But I still can't get over what I consider to be an organizational failure by the Cardinals to call him up. But then because of, you know, you could say it's the launch angle stuff and they want him getting the ball off the ground, which is true. But would they have sent him down if the team was 500 or five games above 500? No, they probably would have felt like, yeah, we can continue to let him work through this at the big league level. But another factor of it was playing time. And now it's like, if you're not finding playing time for Jordan Walker at the big league level, it's because you don't want to. Because half your outfielders and maybe more than half are hurt based on what happens here with Newt So that's kind of my thoughts on the Walker stuff. I feel like there is so much more to unpack with this. And so if it's something you would like to hear more about on the podcast with maybe a guest or two that I can line up to kind of bounce some ideas off the wall that aren't just rattling around in my own brain, that could be beneficial. I get it. It's me just talking for an hour per podcast a lot of times. And so that can maybe get a little bit old, but I appreciate you guys for uh, sticking around for the perspective. And that's why I say, let me know at Shaper 12 if you've got thoughts or angles that you would like me to explore. It's 1 a.m. right now. And so uh, I'm the one doing the podcast at 1 a.m. because I want to put it out here for you guys. Makes it a little tougher to find guests because I do keep weird hours. But hopefully it ends up being still something you guys consider to be worthwhile. Subscribe on YouTube would be a huge help if you would do so. And Spotify as well is another great spot to follow the show. And uh, leave a five-star review on Spotify if you'd be so kind. I'm going to wrap things up here, though, with that little tidbit about Jordan Walker. Very interesting stuff. Once again, at for 12 on Twitter. Let me know what you think about that. Comment on the YouTube as well. That would be a great thing to get a comment thread going about. And who knows, maybe we see Jordan Walker back in St. Louis before long if the team likes the progress that he's making and they might have a need in the outfield now even greater than the need that they had before. So that is, though, going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys so much for listening. As always, we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!